The following audio is from Maranatha Chapel, located in San Diego, California. For more information about Maranatha Chapel, please visit www.maranathachapel.org. Okay, if you have a Bible, let's open it uh, to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 9. We're going to just tell a couple of stories before we have communion together in this beginning of the month of March. So we're in Matthew chapter 9, and let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we come before you and pray and ask that the Holy Spirit will speak to us and lead and guide us into the truth. Jesus, you said that the truth will set us free. He whom the Son sets free is free indeed. So may we have ears to hear what the Spirit of the Lord would say to believers and to the church for such a time as this. We ask all of these things in the worthy and precious name of Jesus. And everyone said, Amen. Okay, we've just got a few life lessons. Uh, The first one, the healing of a broken home. Beginning in verse 18, we read, And while he spoke these things to them, Behold, a ruler came and worshipped him, saying, My daughter has just died, but come and lay your hand on her, and she will live. So Jesus arose and followed him, and so did his disciples. So while Jesus has been teaching, uh, he was talking about, you know, you can't put new wine into old wineskins, or it'll break the skins, and you'll lose the wine, and he's doing a teaching And Jesus is interrupted by an urgent uh, situation. And this ruler of a local synagogue right there in the area of Galilee, where Jesus' headquarters was, needs a desperate miracle. In the beginning, his daughter was sick. And then by the time he gets to Jesus and they start making their way to his daughter, uh, she's a young girl of 12 years of age, she actually dies on the way, even before Jesus gets there, meaning She's going to need more than just a healing. She's going to need a resurrection. Now, this man's name, the ruler of the synagogue, we are told is Jairus, or in Hebrew, Yair, which in Hebrew means God enlightens. He's an honorable man. Uh, His daughter has just died, and yet he expresses great faith in Jesus that he could resurrect his daughter. Now, that's incredible. Notice uh, there in verse 18 that this man worshipped Jesus, verses 18 and 19. He worshipped Jesus, and Jesus received the worship, which would have been blasphemous had Jesus not been God or equal to God, as the Son of God equal to his Father. Now, in every other instance in the New Testament where worship is offered either to a human being or to an angel— it is always immediately refused. But this guy worships Jesus. Jesus says, okay, go ahead, worship me, because I am the resurrection and the life. Now, let's go to your daughter and see what we can do. Now, this man being a, the leader, the ruler, kind of like the president of the local synagogue, knew that there were other religious leaders, Pharisees, and so forth, who had come from down in the south from the temple area, from Jerusalem, to follow Jesus, and they were quite uh, skeptical. You need to understand that this is the beginning of Jesus' ministry. Miracles are happening that have never happened in the history of the nation of Israel. I mean, all of the great men and women, the tremendous miracles 
that they had experienced, but nothing on the level uh, and, and with as many supernatural manifestations as when Jesus came. But there was tremendous opposition. Right from the beginning, all the way through the three years of his ministry, and even up until the end. So know this, Jesus was controversial. And Jesus was controversial then, and even 2,000 years later, if you're a believer and a follower and a lover of Jesus Christ, he's controversial today. Uh, And it must have been difficult for Jairus, as a devout Jew, as a leader of a local synagogue, uh, to identify himself with this controversial man. But his love for his dying, or now dead, daughter, uh, it won over any hesitation he had. You know, there's a point at which you get so desperate, you don't care what anybody else says. You don't care what anybody else thinks. If I got a path to the supernatural and to a miracle and to heal or help someone I love, bring it on. I want it. Can I hear an amen on that? And the same thing will be true of you. Uh, because there is below the surface, besides opinions and attitudes and various religious backgrounds, doctrines, or non-religion, people have all these opinions and they can argue about that. But underneath it is another level of tremendous spiritual warfare. There's the kingdom of light and there's also a kingdom of darkness. There's the supernatural of the heavens and of the glory of God, but there is also demonic supernatural, spiritual, though invisible to our natural eyes, events that are going on. And those two struggle and battle between one another. Um, but I think he, he, he lost all fear and of his reputation when, it was, when it's my daughter. And I think that's the way it often is with us as well. So I want you to look at this. We think about this young girl, uh, you know, Jesus gets there. He goes into the home ready to perform a miracle. But on the way to the miracle with Jairus and to his daughter at his home, he experienced a divine delay. Something happened. Can you imagine this? Could there be anything more emotional, anything more critical than a little girl who's died? Jesus says, let's go. Immediately, the disciples are following after him, and on the way, something stops them uh, in their tracks, and there's a delay of what's going to happen. So we read beginning in verse 20, and suddenly, a woman who had a flow of blood for 12 years came from behind and touched the hem of his garment. For she said to herself, if only I may touch his garment, I shall be made well. But Jesus turned around, and when he saw her, he said, Be of good cheer, daughter. Your faith has made you well. And the woman was made well from that hour. So poor Jairus, he's on his way to his daughter, and, and he's ready for his miracle, but he gets delayed along the way. But know this, the delay had a divine purpose. Um, look, I know that there's a lot of pressure on all of your lives. Uh, There's a lot of pressure on the world right now, uh, I think because of the times in which we live. And, you know, even as I have experienced here recently, how many of you found when there's stress and when you're concerned about something and you're trying to move toward a goal, uh, life does not stop happening. It just keeps going on, interrupting. How many of you agree life can be rude sometimes? 
not only rude, but kind of mean. And they don't care about you. It just is going to keep rolling along. And that's what happened to poor Jairus. It doesn't tell us what he was thinking or feeling, but this lady is trying, she goes in and she's trying to get a secret little healing, but it, it, it ends up stopping the whole parade going to Jairus' house. I wonder, was Jairus frustrated? Was he angry? Uh, was he confused? Like, what? You're, now you're going to stop and you're going to talk to this lady and deal with this issue? My daughter died. So we must learn to trust in Christ and in his promises. And listen to me, even those of you that are frustrated right now because life keeps, you know, hitting you and delays may be coming. No matter how you feel. And by the way, I want to, I'm going to throw this in there. Though God made us in his image and after his likeness, and one of those amazing things is that we have emotions, we have feelings. Um, but I wanted to say this to you. As a child of God, we cannot live first and foremost by our feelings. We have to live first and foremost. The, the, the driving, you know, the steering wheel of our lives has to be our personal faith and relationship in Jesus Christ. Can I hear an amen on that? Don't ever let the feelings drive you. I don't know if you've found this out or not, but a lot of my feelings are not that Christian. <laughs> and if, man, if they take over, we could be in trouble. Now, on the other hand, sometimes Christians go to the other extreme and they try to be all holy and, you know, religious, and really it becomes fake because you're trying to either control your emotions or hide them or whatever. No. We're emotional beings. It's not wrong to be emotional. It's just that don't let emotions steer your life or control your life. The emotions, all of them are okay. You can share them with the Lord, but let the the wheel that directs your life be your faith, be your personal relationship with Jesus Christ, and be the Word of God. And then let the feelings follow. So no no matter how we may feel, no matter what others may say, No matter what circumstances we may be facing, just stay with Jesus. Now, Jesus stopped for a moment. Okay, let's stay with Jesus here. We got a little delay. Something's going on. It must be important because Jesus is here. Don't get ahead of him. Stay with him. And if you stay with Jesus, you're going to see the supernatural. You're going to have the breakthrough. It's all going to happen because God knows what he's doing. God never looks down and goes, whoa, I didn't know that was going to happen. You know what I mean? He sees it all, knows it all, has a plan for it all, and he has a plan for you and for me. So I want to add this. Uh, this, is, this woman, who kind of steals the show here for a moment, was the healing of a broken hope. Now this lady, uh, I'm kind of putting this story together with uh, some of the other gospels. The gospel of Mark tells us. So we had, you know, different uh, authors give us different uh, perspectives and add different details. This woman had spent all of her money that she could on all kinds of doctors and medical things, and nobody could help her. Now, and and when you have an issue for 12 years, uh, and, and so I speak to those who have a chronic illness or somebody you love and care about who has a chronic, I mean, it, it's not just, you know, a, a, a season. Uh, it's, it's for a long, over a decade she'd been wrestling with this. And I think there was a lot of stress that came along with that. So she approaches Jesus. She carried this for 12 years. She approaches Jesus from behind, and she's got to, you know, she's bleeding, she's hemorrhaging. 
which means that she could not go and worship. Uh, this had to have been embarrassing, had to have been awkward. Uh, her condition made her unclean. Um, and so she decides to quietly, because all the people are walking and they're with Jesus and we're on our way to this guy's house. Everybody probably knew who Jairus was. He's the local known you know, synagogue leader. And she goes, I'm just going to sneak in, and while he walks by, I'm going to reach down and grab one of his tassels, because I believe if I grab hold of the tassel of the robe of this man, I will be healed. So she decides to do it. Now, I want to show you a picture. What does that mean? Because a lot of times you read, you know, the hem of his garment or whatever, you think it's some little strip like at the end of a robe or dress or something like that. Actually, it is, uh, it's a strand, it's a tassel. And um, every, every man was to wear this, uh, these fringes, there were four of them, two in the front and two in the back. They had to have in them a hyacinth blue uh, thread that was worn by a Jew on the corners of his outer garment. It was meant by God to identify a Jew as a Jew in a predominantly Gentile world, and as a member of God's chosen people, to be an example to them, to provoke jealousy among the Gentiles for the one true God. No matter where he was, it was to remind a Jew every time he put on his uh, clothes or took off his clothes that he belonged to God. Now, there's actually a scripture that talks about this, and we covered it when we went through the book of Numbers, but I know many of you haven't read the book of Numbers, or maybe not in a long time. So let's read together what these tassels were that this woman grabbed hold of that released the supernatural healing power of God. Numbers 15, verses 38 through 40. Okay, let's read it out loud. Speak to the children of Israel. Tell them to make tassels on the corners of their garments throughout their generations, and to put a blue thread in the tassels of the corners, and you shall have the tassel, that you may look upon it and remember all the commandments of the Lord, and do them, and be holy for your God. So God actually put it into the Word. This is how, if you're one of my people in ancient Israel, you're an addresser to have these things. Now here, this is interesting when we now come to the Gospels and we're talking about the Savior, Jesus Christ, for a couple of reasons. Number one, it tells us that although Jesus spoke of the dangers of traditions and traditionalism, he himself followed this biblical command to wear these four fringes. And the second fact is that this woman reached out to touch the Messiah's outer garment, and it shows her faith in him. By specifically grabbing and touching the tassels, what she was in essence saying, because a lot of people look at this and go, oh, well, she must have, that was just some weird superstition she had. No, she knew what she was doing, she knew it was biblical, and she knew what those tassels represented. They represent the Word of God. And what it meant specifically that she reached for the tassel of this man, Jesus of Nazareth, I believe that man is a man of character. He's a man of integrity. He is a man that actually doesn't just wear the outer garment. He lives the Word of God. And as Jesus later revealed, he is the Word of God. And she believed because of his character, if I touch uh, what is the outward representation, he is a man in constant communion with God, I will be healed. And boom! Just as she thought, 
The power of heaven, the kingdom of God flowed through Jesus and into this woman, and 12 years where nothing could touch it, the warmth and the glory of the Lord came, and she was healed at that instant. And I, I think that's very, very powerful. With such an act of faith, it is little wonder that Jesus immediately stops and turns around and immediately says, daughter, be of good cheer, for your faith has made you whole. Um, I, I love this because her faith in the Messiah's power, that's what brought her the healing. Uh, and, and I'm sure that she didn't want all of that. She, obviously, she came and she was trying to sneak in. I'll just grab it. And she gets the healing. She wanted to go sneak away. Jesus stops, turns around, says, from another gospel, he said, who touched me? So everybody's probably going, what do you mean who touched you? I mean, there's hundreds of people. Everybody wanted to be next to Jesus, and they're bumping into one another. And he goes, no, 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 you don't understand. Somebody touched me with faith. I'm interpreting here. I felt Jesus could feel virtue, power, the flow of the Holy Spirit uh, that was upon him, in him, and through him. He could feel when the Spirit was released through faith to touch and heal people. So he stops her, and she was trying to hide, and she, you know, who touched me? And she goes, it was me. And Jesus then said, good, be of good cheer, daughter, for your faith has made you whole. And you know what? I have a feeling this must have inspired Jairus. Yeah, it was an interruption, but whoo, man, the healer is on the way to my daughter's house. Don't you think that strengthened and that encouraged him? It's interesting that Jairus... Uh, and this woman, two opposite people, both met at the feet of Jesus Christ. And, you know, I love this because in a crowd this size, believe you me, if we were all to sit down with one another and get to know everybody that's in here, there's a lot of difference, a lot of opposites, a lot of, whoo, wow, you're a different, you know, breed of cat, you know? How are we in the same place and house together? And we're drawn together. Jesus draws things that are different. God, because God loves variety. So he made a lot of variety in the universe and planet Earth. And, and, in, and he specialized in the diversity of humankind, made in his image after his likeness. We're all very different, but we all come together at the feet of Jesus. Jairus was a synagogue leader, and yet her affliction kept her from even going to the synagogue or worship. Um, we find out from the Gospel of Mark, the little girl was exactly 12 years old. She had been alive for 12 years, and then she died. Now, this woman had a bleeding hemorrhage for exactly 12 years, and now she is made whole. Jairus' need was public. Hers was kind of private until she got healed, and only Jesus understood. But both Jairus and the woman trusted in Jesus. Jairus said, you can raise my little girl from the dead. And the woman said, if I touch the hem of his garment, he'll heal me. And he did so. So if you and I will trust in Jesus Christ, from wherever we are in the circumference of this earth, we'll all be brought to the feet of Jesus and be made one with him. Amen? Okay, so then I want to add one more quick little point. The importance of giving public testimony when miracles happen. Um, Jesus uh, did this because he stops the whole thing. He could have let it just be private. Oh, somebody touched me. Somebody got healed. Hallelujah. I'm on my way to Jairus and his little girl. But he stops. 
He asked a question, who touched me? And, and she was trying to hide. And all of a sudden, Jesus takes a woman who had a very private faith, got her miracle, and very fine with Jesus to go on down the road. But Jesus goes, no, I need to stop. I want you to publicly, who are you? I'm going to identify you. I want everybody to look at you. And then I want to encourage you, give you a testimony. Well done. Now, God is doing all kinds of miracles right now. And uh, look, I, I don't want to go into all the details of why. I just want to say this. We're living in an, a, an amazing time, an unusual time. I do believe and agree with Anne that Billy's passing has significance for the, the plans of God in heaven and his kingdom and for the earth. And, and I think in the from this time forward kind of uh, world that we live in now, we're going to see more unusual, supernatural things. God's going to be doing more things to get the world's attention, uh, to get them to say, wow, we don't got the answers. We need to look up. And the gospel is going to be reverberating around the world. So I know many of you are having God answer your prayers. God is doing, he's touching you. God is uh, ministering to you. God is drawing people. Some are being drawn to the Lord that haven't darkened the door of a church in a long time or thought about God or religious things. Unfortunately, many of them have been wounded. They've been hurt by all the, you know, sin and hypocrisy that is in the church, the judgmentalism, the same things Jesus wrestled with. Uh, Pharisees and so forth several thousand years ago. But the bottom line is human beings, we're made, we got this, the Bible says we, we have eternity in our hearts. And there's something saying, whatever, you know, economics and politics of the world don't really meet the deepest need. I, I got something deeper. You, you bet you do. You got a spirit. And the only way to get spiritually alive is through the Holy Spirit and God. So there are testimonies. And I want you to, if you have a story or an answer to prayer, or a miracle or a healing or something that God is doing, I want you to tell me about it. We're going to try to start doing that and putting it on our website and letting people know because testimonies are encouraging. That testimony of that woman encouraged Jairus for his need for a miracle. Your answer to prayer, your miracle, could help encourage someone else. And you know what a, what a testimony really is? When you give testimony, God did this for me, and you share it with somebody else, it's kind of like saying, God, do it again. You did it for him, do it for me. You did it for her, do it for me. Do it again, God. And it builds testimonies can actually build people's faith. So the importance of giving a public testimony. Jesus did this so that she would know why she was healed. You were healed because you expressed faith, young lady. It was by her faith. And he did it so that she would not think she had stolen it from him. Remember, she wanted to come in and kind of just do it real quick, quiet, and steal it. No. I think it was Jesus' way of saying, you don't need to be ashamed of, of that you have an issue or that you have a physical need or that you have a problem. You, you never need to be ashamed of coming to me publicly with your need ever again. He did it so Jairus would see the power of Jesus at work so that he might have faith for his daughter. All right, let's go to the last uh, couple of verses, 23 through 26. And the life lesson, the last one is this, never let criticism or the mocking crowd keep us from God's healing power. Beginning in verse 23, it says, and when Jesus came into the ruler's house, so there's Jairus' house, and what did he see? Flute players and the noisy crowd wailing. 
He said to them, Make room, for the girl is not dead. She's sleeping. And they ridiculed him. But when the crowd was outside, put outside, he went in and he took her by the hand and the girl arose. And the report of this went out into all that land. Now, um, briefly, let me just say that in the Jewish uh, households or whatever, when someone dies, they have, uh, you, you, for seven days, you're to grieve and mourn and cry and wail. And it, it may be culturally a little difficult to understand, but to, to show how much you loved the one that passed away, some, they would sometimes hire some musicians or even uh, people to professionally come in and grieve with you and mourn with you, and it kind of honored how worthy and how missed this loved one would be. Um, and so I'm thinking that, obviously there was probably from family there, but there were some others, musicians or whatever, this was kind of a gig, you know, for them, if you know what I mean. So they're there, and then Jesus comes in, and he goes, no, nah, she's not sleeping, or she's not dead, she's asleep. And they're like, where's, where, where's this guy? Uh, this, she's deader than a doornail, look at her, I mean, she's been gone. And so they start mocking and ridiculing and Jesus turns and looks at those characters. He says, go outside. And they, so there are those who will ridicule and mock to this day. They go, yeah, Jesus, he died. He's buried. They can't find him, but he's there. And here we are, Christians, two and a half billion of us around the world saying, no, that guy 2,000 years ago, he's alive. The tomb is empty. He's still healing the sick. He's still raising the dead today. That's what you know. And there are people that laugh and ridicule and mock those Christians. <laughs> they think Jesus is still alive. Yeah, we do. So it's the Lord is saying, look, okay, you guys go outside here. And as they leave, then Jesus goes back in. He says, little girl, wake up. By the way, uh, as Anne shared early, um, this became the teaching of, the, of all the believers and I, I love this the best because Jesus' death was punishment for sin. Jesus died in our place. He therefore paid our sins. He took the sting of death. And I'm speaking now biblically, theologically. The reality is if you are a child of God that believes in Jesus Christ, you're never actually going to die. You know what I'm saying? The sting of death it's gone. It got spent. Like a bee, one stinger, boom, it came into Jesus, it's done. So you're never going to die. So you go, well, what's going to happen? What's the worst thing that happened to you? You fall asleep. And I, I'm good with that. I'm okay with that. I like sleeping. I, I like taking naps more and more. <laughs> you're going to fall asleep. It's like the little boy that was all, you know, uh, he had an illness and he was going to die and his parents were believers and he was scared and they're trying to explain to him and so finally, the mom is like, okay, son, you know how sometimes you're in the living room and you're playing with your toys and then you play till you're, you go to sleep and then your dad will come in because you're laying on the floor and he picks you up in his arms and he carries you and he puts you into your bedroom and he puts you, tucks you into your bed. And you wake up an hour later, 90 minutes later, and you're kind of yawning and stretching and going, I was, the last thing I remember, I was in the living room and I was playing. And now how did I get into my bedroom? Well, when you were sleeping, your dad put his arms underneath you. He picked you up and he carried you and you didn't know it and he brought you to a new place. That's, that's what's going to happen to you and me. We're going to fall asleep one day. The father's going to carry us in his arms. When we wake up, we're going to be in heaven. You good with that? Yeah. Woo! Hallelujah, Lord. I'm ready for that.
Now, I want to say to you that God is doing miracles, God is doing healings, but I want you to also know that God is doing even more than that. Jesus said the same works that I have done, you will do, and even greater works shall you do than I did. Um, Now, it's interesting here that Jesus did not raise every dead child he encountered, but he did so here in an act of mercy and compassion to this grieving father and to show that he could do it. It is clear that Jesus hated death with a passion and its cause and how much he must have enjoyed the opportunity to hand death on that day a small defeat before he went to the cross and defeated death forever and ever and ever on the cross and then on the third day, the empty tomb. Amen? Well, did you know that there is a missionary and a man and one of our brothers in the Lord who started going to Mexico, and he's going to the Indians a little further south in Mexico, our neighbor, to the Indians that are up in the mountains, and these people have for generations been steeped in the real supernatural occult world, demonic world manifestations, uh, things that make our, you know, horror movies child's play compared to what's going on down there. So he comes down, he's preaching the gospel about Jesus, and they're going, well, what's that big deal, man? Look at what we got. And it's like, boom. It's like, wow. He goes, I realize I can't just give a declaration of the Word of God. There needs to be a demonstration of the power behind the Word. And anyway, long story short, God spoke to him, and he started with this one young person, and the Lord told him, you pray, because there were the witch doctors who had demonic manifestations going on right there, right? And everybody in the village knew, these guys are legit, they're for real, they can curse you, you can die. And they're going, you know, you Christians, you got a nice little story, but we got some scary, spooky stuff to deal with. So here's this guy, like, how do we reach these people? And God says, You confront them in the name of Jesus. You lay your hands on that person in front of you, and I'm going to raise them from the dead. And they're just cursing, and and all their faces, all this manifestation stuff's happening. So he lays hands and prays for them, and all of a sudden, boom, and just starts breathing. And the witch doctor, ah! (laughs) And they back off. And so he started doing that, and all of a sudden, now, instead of just one family getting saved, a whole village of Indians, boom, accepts Jesus Christ, and the whole village is saved. (laughs) Then they start going to the next village. Anyway, uh, he, he is claiming that he has seen 600 dead raised. And and this is just one story, one missionary happened right down there in Mexico. I'm telling you, it's real. God is real. Jesus is real. And He is coming. Amen? Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Maranatha Chapel. If you haven't already, please subscribe for weekly messages. Feel free to share this podcast and join us for our weekend services held Saturday evening or Sunday morning. Visit our website at www.maranathachapel.org for more information.